Hi guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries. Uh, going forward with the second season, we do have like an, a little bit of increase of cost. So we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me A Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also going to be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, it'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and until next time. Good, how are you? Good, I got home a little late from work, so I'm um, finishing eating a couple of bites of dinner, but I hope that you would probably understand. <laughs> no, yeah, dude. If it was, we could have totally done a little bit later if it was an inconvenient time. Ugh, that's fine. I feel like this is sort of the um, never-ending, like, life issue. Like, is there such a thing as a convenient time? True. Being <laughs> an adult. Not. Being an adult is so yeah. much fun. <laughs> Um, but it's nice to meet you. Yeah, I know. Oh my god, your room is so pretty. Oh, thanks. This is my room slash office. Because <laughs> it's New York, so everything is the same thing. Yeah. How's the weather over there? Is it warming up? Yeah, it is. It's gotten a lot warmer. Um, today and yesterday were nice. Well, yesterday was, like, rainy, but yeah, it's starting to get warmer. Um, how about you? I actually don't know anything about... Um, me yeah no no well yeah you and know <laughs> like how weather is in ohio um ohio has a represent uh, has a a reputation of being really all over the place uh it will literally storm be super hot and then drop to the 30s by the end of the day so right now we're experiencing a lot of rain and a lot of that fluctuation of like super pretty spring weather to It'll get to like twenty degrees at night. So that's cold. <laughs> yeah, Ohio is bipolar. <laughs> that like um, I'm trying to like think of a reason for it. Is that like because of the polar winds or like Canada or what? Does it funnel stuff down? You know, I think this has been a myth and a legend for all of the Midwest to never know the answer to that question. <laughs> No one cracks the code. <laughs> I definitely don't understand. It's been constantly erratic for all I've known, being born and raised in Ohio. Well, could, is it appropriate to ask you to tell me about you? Yeah, I think you're the first person that's asked me about me. So, um, I am from Ohio, originally from closer to the lake, um, south of Cleveland. And I was born and raised here from immigrant parents, um, first generation Iraqi American. And then I kind of have always been a barista for like four or five years before I started getting into the coffee production aspect. And 
Um, fell in love with learning about coffee. I started out, I think, a lot like everybody else working at Starbucks for like two years. Like I was during the Frappuccino era, like the unicorn Frappuccino era, and that specific part of Starbucks before yeah. it kind of like changed. And then I've been in and out, always somehow gravitating back towards being in the coffee world. And then eventually I moved down to central Ohio. So currently I live in Columbus and I kind of applied myself into just wanting to get into roasting. Absolutely no background or understanding of what goes into the production part of the world. And I just like kind of approached different places here who roast. And I'm like, hey, I'm interested. If you need somebody, let me know. And then... I stumbled upon somebody and where I currently work, um, representing Mission Coffee, and the person who used to be the roaster at the time, I did the same thing. I was like, so this is my criteria. This is what I have going on. And if you need somebody, let me know. And then it worked. I sent my resume and uh, had an interview and started roasting like literally the week of being hired. So nice. it started this whole journey of understanding, obviously, the, everything that goes into the roasting world, which is pretty, it's pretty daunting, you know, um, coming from somebody of the consumer and a lot of that customer service base aspect to a lot of the technicalities and the physical manual labor that goes into roasting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm really falling in love with this more than I actually thought I would. Like, I never thought I'd be really into a lot of that kind of stuff. And then... I started learning more about, I had a great mentor. Like the person who was teaching me really taught me in such a way where I could understand everything from the ground up. And um, from there, he started showing me a lot about coffee purchasing, coffee buying and sourcing and learning about sustainability. And I fell even more in love with it and learning a lot about his stories, visiting origin stories and his interactions with a lot of the farmers on a personal level and continuing to work with said farmers and having built these relationships over like a course of many years. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. It was like set in stone after that conversation. I was like, this is where I see myself going. This is where I want to keep doing. I want to be able to integrate this in such a real aspect of my life and meeting these people. And having conversations, you know. Um, and then it got to a point where I felt like I wanted to learn more, but I didn't have a lot of the resource to. And my boss at the time was like, there is a roaster scholarship to attend last year's coffees, uh, roasters retreat. And he's like, you should apply. And I was like, I'm not going to get that. I don't even know how many people apply for that. There's no way that I'll do it. But I did it anyways. And then I got an email. They're like, hey, you got it. So yeah. um, I was super dedicated at the time, you know. I mean, nothing's really changed. But <laughs> I was really dedicated at the time to making my way out there. I live in Columbus, Ohio, so central Ohio. Um, last year, the retreat was held south of Milwaukee, so closer to the border of uh, Illinois um, and Delavan. And from there, it's an eight-hour drive. And I drove from all the way up and I was so determined and kind of a little bit prideful that I wasn't going to rent a hotel room because I'm broke. And I was like, I'm just going to stay in my car for three days and then I'll just drive down. But my, yeah. my boss actually really like pitched in to getting me to have a place to sleep up there and then coming back down. So when I made the drive up there, 
And I met all these amazing women and I got to be a part of She's the Roaster and meeting Bailey and meeting a lot of, um, I met Alex from um, that retreat as well. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like these women are badasses. And it's like, from that meeting though, and then a lot of the interactions that I had with a lot of the men at the industry from the retreat, I was like, there's definitely a difference here. Um, attitudes, yeah. personalities, um, interactions. And then I came back from that retreat feeling very much enlightened and having great resources and meeting these great people to having interesting interactions with men from there on and being a lot more aware and introspective with that. And I, I remember my mentor at the time, he's like, it was an interaction I had with an importer where I sat and I talked to him um, or lack thereof, I didn't really talk to the importer because he didn't talk to me. It was a male-male contact kind of conversation and I was just kind of there in the background. And I was like, well, this is weird, especially with my personality type. I am not a quiet person. I am very conversational and I'm very opinionated. So it was like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. I feel like there was no point of me being there. I feel very invalidated. I feel like I was just like, what was that? So we had the conversation and it just like rang through me after that. I was like, okay, so I talked to a lot of women at the retreat who said a lot of these are really normal interactions. And I'm like, this is something that's constantly happening. And I'm like, so we're not going to talk about it? You know what I mean? Like, we're just all going to be aware that this is like, uh, oh, I'm going to roll my eyes kind of moment and then carry on. And we're not going to discuss this. We're not going to have some type of civilized conversation about it. And then I was like, you know what? I'll do it. (laughs) I don't really care. So I kind of brought this up as a topic to Bailey. And I was like, Bailey, I have this idea and I kind of want to see your thoughts on it because um, when we were at the retreat, she's like, if there's any suggestions you have going forward, go ahead and just let us know. And originally I just wanted to collaborate with She's the Roaster. And she's like, no, you should start your own thing. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, so what kind of format should I do? (laughs) Cause I love to write. So like that was sort of like my innate thing. And then, um, She's like, you should do a podcast. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, that sounds daunting. Um, but here we are, many months later, and now four episodes in after this. So the Is baby. Still daunting? Yeah. Everything, every single time an episode's aired, I'm always like nervous of people's reactions and nervous for feedback. Really? Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, like these are like you included, like these are people's like lives. These are people's stories. These are people's like honest thoughts and opinions, I'd hope. And people are being like vulnerable to an extent with me to protect a lot of their identity and protect a lot of their voices. And that's really important to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's like all I want is this to be a positive platform for women to talk and discuss and queer folk and to obviously bring a lot of awareness and, and engage conversation with each other, you know, rather than just kind of do the whole like this is just the normal and then just like go about your day. Yeah. Well, that's like really respectful. That's also really, really nice. You know, something <laughs> that is like that's a gift in itself because that is like what isn't being given, you know, that's like the. Mm-hmm. The vacuum was like a void that you've already noticed. People don't listen to each other very well. Men love to hear themselves talk. Yeah. Like, yeah, wow. 
I have had many, many, many experiences like that. Yeah. I think um, being a person of color, too, a lot of my cultural standpoints come from a very patriarchal upbringing and patriarchal yeah. culture. Yeah. So I completely understand on so many different levels what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's great, though. I feel like this is the thing that, like, women are really good at giving each other because, like, we just get it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not really a lot of, like, it's sort of like... Um, like uh i don't remember if this was middle school or what but like did you ever do that um thing where they like teach you about the love languages or whatever you know like how people communicate and relate to each other uh, like, like psychology you went through an advanced school because no, i didn't learn like, about that until later I, in life i think i um so like i was always like uber nerd like go deep read all the stuff about all the things if I was interested in it and not because anyone told me. And sometimes I would be the kid where like, you know, the teacher was like, you know, you don't need to waste time reading that. And I would be like, I'm going to do it if I want to. Right. That that was like my act of rebellion. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever, you know, don't tell me to learn on my own time. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Like I can do whatever I want. I'm going to read whatever I want (laughs) within reason of whatever I could find at the library, but I love the library. But, um, no, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't have no idea if I read it in my own time or in school or whatever, but, like, something I did learn then is that, like, you know, they have, everybody's got, like, levels of um, communication with other people, you know, sometimes it's intuitive, like, you can just, like, have a conversation with someone and you're like, cool, I get you. Sometimes you're like, I have no idea, like, what's going on in your head, like, what are you thinking about me right now, like, what, mm. like, you are foreign to me, I cannot relate to you. And there's, like, ver- extreme versions of those things, mm-hmm. you know, like, soulmate level intuitive communication or whatever. And then there's, like, you know, extreme, like, opposite unintuitive communication because of, like, just, you, you know, you come from, like, a radically different place, whatever your experience is different, you know, and sometimes I feel like I have this, like, it's almost like cognitive dissonance where it's, like, someone who just has such a different experience to me, even though like maybe it doesn't, it, it feels like it shouldn't, or like we shouldn't have this much space between us. You know, I feel like sometimes I have conversations with men and I'm like, well, did you grow up? Like, how do you do get to this place? Mm. We're like, we have no concept of what you're even saying yet. You're still talking. <laughs> All that man. Does he, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I have these moments where I'm like, are we literally in a different reality right now? Like, are we not in the same temporal, like, you know, is this like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode? Where uh-huh. I'm just like, like, I love I the reference. Know. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm almost like crazy fan. It's so really, it's funny you bring that up because I was just having this discussion with my boss today about the concept of um, people who are so self-absorbed. And I think that really reiterates what you just said is that I don't yeah. think people are innately selfish. I think people are very self-absorbed and yeah. it's really hard to be talking about something that's bigger than yourself with someone who's very self-absorbed. And okay. <laughs> I think that obviously you've experienced it also, but I've experienced that a lot within a lot of male to woman interactions. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. That's exactly it. I think that's also like, you can't really like, fault them for not being self-aware um I also like when you mentioned your boss was like I had this fun interaction I've had the like my boss and I've worked together for many 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 years and he um he's really 
great. He is uh, like one of the true allies out there. Mm-hmm. And he's very Buddhist. And so like every now and again, he'll make a comment about um, how I can like sometimes see things other people can't. It's like that isn't something that we should always fault other people for. Mm. So I was, we were talking about something else and I was like, you know how I always, you always say like, I have like the burden of sight. And he was like, actually, I call it the gift of sight. Paraphrasing. <laughs> and we were just joking about how, like, I literally remembered it as being like a burden because sometimes I'm like, this is the issue with like marginalized, oppressed people. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like it's always on us to point out the injustice that we can see. No one else can see it. And it's a fucking burden sometimes. I think it's also like people can choose to ignore it too, yeah. which is yeah. something that, like, that's really hard to 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 let that slide also. So, oh. yeah, I, I kind of agree with everything you're saying, really. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> so, what brought you on to the podcast? What made you... Because obviously this is our first time talking. This is our first time meeting. Um, I wanted to know what really, like, motivated you to want to come on today. Yeah, I thought about that because you asked um, some of the other books uh, the same question. I was like, I wonder if she'll ask that. Like, I think there's um, a sense of, like, collective karma. There's, like, you know, so many women. I did something similar when I started the Women in Coffee Project, like, as you mentioned earlier. Mm. Like, wanting to learn more, not really being able to find a lot of information out there, kind of feeling like there weren't a lot of resources and people that could give me answers and so sometimes I just would like email people and be like I know that you don't know me and I know that you have like a big job in your organization and I'm just really trying to learn more about gender equity and social justice and how to really do something and um, learn about it but also not just learn about it but like do something about it Mm -hmm. and there were plenty of people who were just like oh my gosh amazing like yeah like you know um, can I call you and I was young enough to be like, you know, it's totally okay if you say no, I won't Mm. be upset. And and I was just so pleasantly surprised by how many people were just so kind and generous with their time with me, because this is like, you know, a lot of people who care about stuff like this, obviously no one's doing it for money. You know, (laughs) everybody's doing it because they care and they have a passion for it. Mm. So I feel like if that's, uh, the kind of space that you're creating, which it sounds like it is, you know, that can only really motivate other people to do something similar Mm. or feel like they could reach out to anyone and ask if they're really interested and passionate about a topic that is really important, Mm -hmm. you know, in general. And there's not really a world where like only a specific kind of equity exists. Like we learned that from the white feminists, you know, like there is no gender equity without racial equity, you know, a lot of social equity is so interlinked. So I feel like that's powerful in itself. And so many people were really kind and generous to me. It's sort of like, um, obviously it's not paying it forward because I can't do the same thing. I hear what a lot of people did to me, which is giving me like really, really great specific advice. Hmm. But, you know, it's a sort of a small debt to repay that I feel like is, is a responsibility. And I think a lot of us have a responsibility we all have a really unique skill set, I think. Mm. And I think that means everything, like your background, like where you come from, what you want to do. You know, everybody has these things that I think are really unique to them. And so 
we have a responsibility to do something with those gifts. And I feel like this is uh, a way to push some of that good energy back and encourage a lot of other people that we have similar stories that we have so many amazing differences that should be celebrated. They shouldn't be like ignored or pushed under the rug. And like, we should also be really open to the fact that women aren't a monolith. (laughs) So much that is different about all of us is amazing. You know, that's, um, that's an easy, easy thing to do. And it's sort of free for us to do. It's just our time. Mm. I think a lot of us operate, especially in New York city, time is our most valuable resource. So a lot of people don't really want to give it up so easily. But it is the only resource I think that is like truly ours that I think is like, it's a nice thing to do to give it up. Yeah, I think um, I've reiterated this many times, but I think a lot of the reason why I also love this podcast is it gives me an opportunity to connect with women who come from so many different backgrounds and can give me so much insight into certain things that I don't have resources for. And it's also like, I love making new relationships with people too. And especially when they're really like fluid and, and just genuine and interaction. So I was really inspired by women in coffee, like the project itself when I was mm-hmm. looking into it and then the following it's created and how impactful it's been in terms of like um, coffee events. And I'm like, this is something that I would love to highlight, you know, like, this is something you've created, obviously, and I'm so, so curious on the origin story. Like, what what inspired this? Did people inspire you? Was it a specific interaction with somebody or, like, something along that lines? Like, I, I just want to know. Yeah. Um, I think it was just, um, I was at the point in my career where I was trying to learn more, and I felt like there, um, there wasn't really a lot. And I think, you know, I, I've always been passionate about, it's like serving or, you know, encouraging a good, like a strong community of women. I saw a lot of stuff being done here on the barista level or like in cafes, like in the retail spaces. And, and she's the roaster. Actually, she's the roaster. was really um, cool for young me. I didn't really know. I knew one other female roaster who was roasting here in New York City. When I was learning how to roast, though, there really wasn't anybody. Yeah. And, um, I thought, okay, like we're starting to really measure and come to terms with gender equity here, mm-hmm. which is obviously really needed, but no one is really doing anything about, as far as I could tell at the time, there were very few people, this was like 2017, very few people doing anything to talk about gender equity in uh, places where coffee's grown. And I know, like, so my background, I'm biracial, like half Nicaraguan. I grew up here too, so same like you. Like I'm from here, <laughs> well, from, you know, from that's a that's a loaded one. You know where where are we all from? A lot of places, but um, I knew though that it was like there's a lot of women who work in agriculture in Nicaragua, where my family's from. So I was just really curious. I was like, I wonder what the um, impact is there, and if there's really anyone doing anything to talk about it. Right. So I did a I did some research this is my like middle school nerd um coming out i've always had this um urge to go ham on learning as much as i can so i was like okay i found some really great stuff but they're really in a lot of different places there was this like um agricultural organization that was like really science-based they were really cool i I still reached out to them they did a lot of like uh, studies on gender and agriculture and smallholder farmers for you know a lot of um, social sustainability 
impact measurements, things like that. They were really interested in specifically how to measure certain social data. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, I'm, I don't know if you're, um, and know anything about coffee, but could you tell me more about how you measure gender, like, you know, period, how do you do that stuff? So I started reaching out to some different organizations because I was curious and very quickly found out that, you know, women do the majority, the lion's share, of, you know, early stage processing in coffee. And I was like, okay, this is mind blowing. I'm someone who wants to know this information. Mm-hmm. I've had to work to really get this information mm-hmm. and I'm not, the average consumer, you know, so it's like, why aren't we really doing a lot more to get this information front and center? And I also quickly found out that I was trying to work with some other organizations to do stuff about um, raising awareness or creating more visibility. And there's this like um, competitive undertone to so much stuff where either you have to um, compete with another business to make it like, you know, really like worth their while. So it's like, you know, what's kind of in it for me, you know, yeah, sort of profitable. Thing. Yeah. And I wasn't really interested in that. Um, and I, uh, wasn't really interested either in trying to approach a bunch of women producers because I was sort of already trying, I was already sensing that there's a lot of power dynamics, uh, stuff that happens. And, uh, I was still early in understanding that, but I did at the same time see that, I kind of have a little bit of like an advantage in that I have a little bit more cultural fluency maybe to be able to talk to some people in place in ways that might make them feel a little bit more safe. Mm. And that is something that I don't want to take for granted. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do? Cause uh, it doesn't seem like other coffee companies are going to want to do much to collaborate with me because I am, you know, I work for a company. So I was like, obviously the best way to do something is to create a separate nonpartisan space where it can be safe. There's no annoying business power dynamics. You know, we're not going to really be putting anyone out or promising anything to producers that we can't um, fulfill because that's what a lot of companies do. You mm. know, try to talk to producers, but don't really cash in on a sale. Just try to get information. It's just like, you know, that's like another level of exploitation. I didn't want to go down either. So yeah. I was like, I want to be really upfront with people and say like, okay, the goal is to share our stories. And I am also like a big um, literary nerd. So I love Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, you know, the um, the Nigerian author. Mm. And so she wrote something um, saying, you know, it was like the danger in a single story. She had this TED talk. I don't know if you've seen it. Anyway, she's <laughs> really, uh, she was just really amazing. So I was like, okay, maybe this is a really easy, unique space where I can do some of this stuff it can overlap with some of my work. It doesn't have to be all of my work. I can bring other people in and collaborate with them, even if it's not going to make my company any money because it can be separate and it won't weird other people out either if I kind of tag on like a nonprofit kind of uh, category to it. Mm. I really kind of got there myself. I mean, there were tons and tons of people who gave me a lot of really great information, Mm. but Um, At the end of the day, it did feel a little bit like um, if I didn't do something like that myself, probably no one would. And it felt a little bit like an echo of like how a lot of minorities, like we kind of have this competitive 
undertone too, especially with older generations, is because like the dominant culture has like taught or trained us mm. society, like society that like not every one of us can succeed, you know? So it's like, you're kind of fighting for space. You're fighting to speak. You're fighting to be heard. You're fighting for resources. And we kind of, um, end up either putting each other down a little bit or even within the same community, you know, like, um, biracial kids are less than, you know, kids mm. who are from, like the place, the mother country or like, we're not the same as Americans either. Cause we, you know, I have a brown mom, you know, there's a mm. bunch of weird stuff that I was like, you know, like creating a really safe space is hard to do. So better to do it um, the best way possible and not really like tack it onto like a for-profit company, mm. just kind of create it myself. So I also can maybe try to control some of that messaging because I was already starting to see I wasn't really like aligning with a lot of other people's ideas of what nonprofits were. Because there's also like this white savior issue that you yeah. have to get past. It's yeah. like we're not trying to give producers something that they're lacking. You know, right. we're trying to, it's like so I thought, you know, the best way to do it probably is to try to own the process myself. And that's what I did and my company was really nice and really great and they helped me I my first idea was to do fundraising for having a panel event here in New York City where I would invite two women from two different countries so four women total to have a skill share here so it's kind of like my initial idea was like a reverse green buying trip so you know we spend so much money on sending a bunch of white people down to places like maybe we should be spending that money on bringing people here so they can have a better understanding of the market where their coffee sold or mm. be the people to guide the cupping. So it's a little bit less um, about the sensory qualities of the coffee, you know, totally divorced from the people. Yeah. So that was really fun. And my company was amazing. They helped. Um, they were like the bank account at first when I raised funds to make it a little bit more legit. Yeah. Um, and uh, they helped me with some, you know, some logistics and things like that, but it went off really well. We did a, a like a panel event in 2019. So I spent 2018 raising funds. Um, I used this um, educational weekend called the Northeast Roasters Forum to also raise funds. Um, and uh, it was awesome. The women had a great time. They were, they were like so inspirational mm. and kind and encouraging and a lot of the things that they said like I think it made me feel like you know it's a lot of work but there's just nothing that can take that away from us if we really want to have that power together you know what I mean and I think that is something I occasionally lose sight of because it's a lot of work and it's really tiring sometimes because I also have a day job and, you know, mm -hmm. like a family and all the stuff you want to try to have as a, an adult or need to do, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's just it. I think, like, you know, telling our own story, we should be in control all the time. It's funny that you say that um, because I'm curious. You said that a lot of the women are really inspirational for you. And a lot of those probably like intimate conversations you have with them and the connections you've built yeah. with them. Um, have you always had really strong relationships with women growing up? Um, I think yes and no. So I have an enormous family. Um, there's four, four of us girls. So I have three sisters mm -hmm. um, and my mom and my grandma. So like, I'm, you know, um, on paper, yes, but I think it took me a while to really appreciate it. 
I was kind of always like, um, like a tomboy nerd. So I didn't really fit into, um, the like kind of classic, like Latina feminine stereotype, which is like an actual thing. Like Arabs have the same thing. Arabs have the same exact thing. And no one ever, like my mom, I think wanted me, I don't think she, like, she didn't, she wasn't like mean about it, but, um, you know, like baby girls when they're born, like they get their ears pierced right away. So they wear earrings, you know, like, that's just like from birth, you know, your first breath, boom, you have earrings, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and identify that that little baby is a girl, you know? So like, there definitely were some issues. It took me a while to like come to terms with my own journey with like, what being a woman was mm-hmm. I think maybe I got like I got really like cerebral about it and didn't um didn't figure that out right away that I was like kind of not into having a relationship with my mom because I didn't want to be that type of mm-hmm. as an adult I think I got past it pretty quick and it was fine but I always had a great relationship with my grandma and she was actually the one too that had the stronger connection to um Nicaragua so you know, I think this is probably also the case with like immigrants that depending on why you're leaving, you know, that sort of has a strong uh, impact on like your relationship to your home culture. Mm-hmm. My mom had a pretty like, you know, she grew up in a pretty like terrible time there. You know, there's like a really gruesome earthquake. There's like, you know, an overthrow of a dictatorship, really gnarly war that involved a lot of like civilian people that um, was pretty bad and that's why they left my mom had everything to embrace and start over here because she was young mm-hmm. 18 met someone fell in love started a family like boom so she was great she was just like amazing you know this is my home now because i have a family here my grandma was like i'm not dying here there's a lot of like bad blood between nicaragua and the u.s like the u.s has done some pretty horrible things mm-hmm. and 1000% I'm not about to stick up for it. No. <laughs> but my, my mom though found something great here. That's awesome, mm-hmm. you know. So her immigrant experience was like I want my kids to assimilate like now so they do not have any negative connotations and only the best opportunities in life. My grandma was like if you fucking forget where you're from, you know, then you're dead to me. But she did it in a pretty great way that she was just like, let me show you like what it is that makes us who we are. So like she, that. she never stopped like, um, you know, making sure that we knew Spanish. My siblings are, you know, not great at um, still speaking it, but like, you know, she was just like, you know, militant about it. She was like, we're going to eat this food. I'm going to play this music. Like you're not forgetting. And that was like, I think, especially now growing up like that is the strong woman in my life that like I immediately was drawn to because I was like she knows who she is and I want to be that I want to be someone who knows who they are I really resonate completely with your upbringing your cultural bicultural living and your relationship with your grandma like all of these things I really resonate with because I grew up like from my earliest memories the one that scarred me the most was when I got my ears pierced. <laughs> oh my god! Because <laughs> like Do I, have the same cultures, the same thing. I, the more that I've been talking to a lot of Latina women, the more I'm like, you guys, we're just one in the same, <laughs> different countries. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, it's like a lot of, like the, even from when you were talking about your mom leaving to come here, like my mom also left around the time Saddam Hussein came into power. 
Um, uh, well, that's more like farther back, like my grandfather. But in general, like they left that country to come here. And of all the places, they chose Ohio. But <laughs> yeah, they they had a choice whether or not to embrace the country's culture. And my grandmother was very, very much militant in keeping us rooted in specifically on a religious standpoint. But I also grew up kind of very segregated in terms of having a very Arab Muslim upbringing and then living in very liberal America. So it it's really interesting listening to your story. I feel like I can really resonate with the background that you had. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, our grandmothers uh, had like a little bit more foresight too because like they have this long history before, you know, mm-hmm. and then totally displaced and had no like basically they had to be the people to I feel like this is the thing that I hear about um, from some of my friends too have like not the exact same background but similar with immigrant backgrounds mm-hmm. it's like they feel like they have to kind of make up for that void of like the societal culture that affirms all of the things around us you know so they're yeah. like louder and brighter and more <laughs> intense and like a lot of pressure and because usually you know like in society you get all these things that affirm who you are all the time around you that are like environmental um they're just like quiet in the background you know when you don't have that as a culture like you have to be the one to create that for your family mm-hmm. so you kind of like push pretty hard and that can go poorly or it can go great but I think there's this like push-pull tension in a family that's like generationally so different like it hits you differently wherever you fall on like the family line there was something specific so I did a little bit of research on you and I found a spread article reading back on it and there was something that you mentioned since we're on the topic about your grandmother specifically that she came to you with a poem And I was just, like, so curious that if you remembered what the poem was. And to give me more insight on that story, because apparently that helped you towards your journey of, like, an aha moment in the industry. Yeah, so I think, um, yes, I can tell you about that. But I do think coffee has helped me reconcile myself with this, like, biracial identity that I always struggled with, man, like, I didn't even know I struggled with it when I was younger and literally it took me until I was like 30 (laughs) and um, I can't even believe that it's like making me feel emotional about it. But like, it's not uh, a story people like to talk about, you know, people don't like um, people are really comfortable when you're like one thing, not multiple things. And so I didn't know how much until I started kind of being, I'm the oldest sister, so I could kind of Mm. see this play out too in my younger sister's lives. And there's so much pressure on women that is just not on men either, you know? So uh, it really made me, uh, coffee I think brought me to the point where I could kind of be like, this is a superpower. Like being able to have multiple types of identity, multiple layers of, you know, whatever it is that we just, like, get to have. It's like we get to have more of, you know. We get to have um, this, you know, amazing parts of this culture to have part of our identity. We get mm-hmm. to have this part of this culture to have as part of our identity. That's amazing, you know, and we don't have to choose. So when I was younger, I think I was always, like, 
I have to be, you know, all Nicaraguan or like my Nicaraguan family won't accept me or like I have to be all American or like the American kids at school will think my, you know, lunch is weird because I would yeah. have like, you know, leftover or whatever that they didn't, whatever. It's not like a PB&J. So they're <laughs> like, no. so I feel like coffee really brought me home in my own skin in a way that I don't know that any other industry would have let me have. But in Nicaraguan culture, so to answer your question, like in Nicaraguan culture, we were like um, very proud of our like poetry. We have a very famous poet named Ruben Darío, who's like, um, I don't know, he's like our, um, who's that old guy who wrote the really long poem, <laughs> the Odyssey, you know that guy? Oh, Homer? Yeah, <laughs> he's like our Homer. He's like our... Um, yeah, he's, he's everywhere. You know, kids um, are required to memorize poetry. So my grandma, of course, like being really like the key to our cultural heritage, um, would make us memorize Ruben Darío poems when we were a kid and would make us like, basically like, he's like, go recite what you learned today to your mom. Make sure, <laughs> make sure she remembers the school, you know? So she would always be like egging us on to make sure my mom didn't forget her culture because... My mom was, you know, just like, whatever, you know, we're Americans now. Um, so, yeah, I still have it. I still have the book of poetry over there. Um, I, I don't remember the specific, specific one. If I, if I flipped through it, I could probably, like, find it again really easy. But, um, yeah, my grandma was just, like, super creative. She I mean, she's still alive, so I don't want to say it was. But, like, at that time in my life, she was really um, hugely inspirational for me. And I also, so, like, when I kind of... Um, decided to leave my life plans for myself. So like I worked in coffee for a long time in undergrad. I went to grad school because um, you have nerd brain. <laughs> I wanted to learn more. And I felt like in undergrad, I didn't get the knowledge that I wanted. So mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to keep going and keep learning. And then through grad school, I ended up figuring it out. Like I was like, you know, this is, whatever it was that I studied, like, that's not the thing, you know, whatever people say is like the successful thing that they want. It's not a pretty package like that. You know, you get to mm -hmm. decide what it looks like. And so after I finished grad school, I went to go live with my grandma for a while in Nicaragua because she had moved back by then. And mm -hmm. she was, cause she had moved back as soon as she was able <laughs> and she got a house. Well, she rented a house that um, her cousin owns on the street where she was born. So in the town um, that she's that her family is from, which was huge for her. So she was yeah. going through this process of like being so happy going back to the place where she was from. And literally there's like a, there's a couple there that are kids that she grew up with that are old now too, that have lived there the whole time. But they did something similar to her where they like left for a while and then came back to Canada, like you know, had some kids, their kids ended up staying there they moved back to so they now live like they're a block away from each other and they were just like so happy they were just like so psyched to be yeah. there like being with each other kind of like ready to live out their whole days together and so my grandma was in this very romantic time and so we would you know read poetry or she would like you know she discovered youtube so she, she does that she does that all day so she would find these like old songs from when she was a kid and you know music back then was a lot it was very melodic and very like lyrical and mm -hmm. poetic and so she would play songs for me and she would be like 
you know, listen to, listen to this line, listen to this line. So we kind of had like this amazing, like time together while I was firmly deciding that I wanted to do coffee for real forever, you Mm -hmm. know? And that I think just was super foundational for me. That's a beautiful story. No, that's perfect. I I like hearing the way you speak is so it's so intuitive, like we were talking about before. But (laughs) I think in general, I will say this though, um, I would consider you an inquisitive spirit. I know that you keep saying you're nerd brain, but I don't think it needs to be a derogative (laughs) thing. I think in general, I I love nerds. I would say that like I really resonate very much in terms of like that hunger to understand fully to what you're capable of when it's something that you're not provided the information for. So I think it's a great thing that you're an inquisitive spirit naturally and that you want to understand on all aspects why things are the way they are and to challenge that at times. That's why I texted you where I was like, should I prepare for this? Like, I don't <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, this, is, this is also, I think, the thing that um, uh, like helps work against like imposter syndrome. I was also really like, I mean, of course, we've all felt it, but mm. uh, I was like, I will not have imposter syndrome. And of course, like, wow, I still have imposter syndrome. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, how am I going to do it? How am I going to beat imposter syndrome? And so the best way that I did was I found was just like, okay, I'm going to like prepare the crap out of myself. And no matter what it is that I'm going into, whether it's public speaking, which I used to be terrified of doing like terrified, like I couldn't sleep kind of terrified of public speaking. And so I was like, I'm going to crush this problem (laughs) by preparing so Mm -hmm. much. So I can't possibly mess up. And I think that has helped me like feel like I can crush the patriarchy. I can out prepare <laughs> any man in this room, you know, any room, anytime. Mm-hmm. Like, let me know. You know, and I think that was my God. What's funny is you brought that up. I feel like, does it actually go away for you? Imposter yeah. syndrome? Like, do you feel like yeah. if you're like, I have all the information in front of me, it's presented, I can finally do it this way and that way, and no one can question me, that means that. I belong here. I mean, to an extent, there are still, um, I've still had plenty of moments where like, you know, it doesn't work because there's just stuff that like you can't prepare. I mean, you know, this is like being an adult, like you can't prepare for everything. <laughs> but um, it has, has helped enormously, enormously. And I think that as I've grown, as I've grown the company where I'm working now, like I have a pretty big job and I'm, you know, a have a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. and I think if I didn't have this mentality or like tried to crack the code yeah um, a long time ago I think it would be way more stressful for me than it is now I mean it is stressful mm-hmm. I'm not I not tell you it's not but it helps a t- like a ton so yeah whenever I feel like shaky or like okay there's something that I can't um, figure out or there's like an interaction with someone else that is making me feel weird um I usually like have a a gut instinct about it but I'll always do something to kind of prepare for it like if it's talking to someone else about like a hard topic I'll prepare what I'm going to say get like 
you know, ready, try to make sure certain conditions are okay. If I can plan for it, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that I think has always helped and it keeps the fear at bay. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, um, I treasure a lot of things that happen organically. So when you asked me if there was anything that you needed to prepare, I was like, no, I just genuinely want to hear your experiences and your stories and get to know you as a person organically and let that showcase itself rather than having a dissertation of every single topic we talk about. (laughs) So yeah, there's nothing to worry about in terms of like, are you saying the right things or if there's enough being said about one specific topic? Cause it is your life, you know? Um, I think. No, but you're good. That's the balance that you need to bring and being present is good. So like your type of spirit balances <laughs> up mine, you know, like I need that type of grounding to be present. Yeah. I, I've had to learn how to deal with a lot of that, that kind of, I can battle anything with the idea that knowledge is power. And I think like I can really, like I said, in general, I just feel like you have, like we just have very similar personalities in terms of how we handle things and that idea of um, who we identify with, how we identify as being culturally and racially different living in America, especially in this climate. And then also like our connection to coffee and how deep it runs and like this is something that I love that when you mentioned earlier, you're like, it's kind of crazy. You're getting emotional about, I think it's a hundred percent something that should be emotional. I think it should be something that's also encouraged to be emotional about because these are real things. It, yeah. it goes so far back for you, you know, and it's like going to continue being a huge part of your life, who you interact with and seeing what matters to other people and like, what matters to you. So I know that the Women in Coffee project is something that's a huge passion project for you. Do you have anything in terms of other passion projects or something that you're extremely passionate about within the industry? Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, gender equity is like front and center for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all, all, all equity ends up, you know, coming into play. Um, but I really do think what's good for women is good for everyone. And I think that applies. I've seen that in so many instances. And it really, I, like, I know, I, mean, I don't know, maybe people will hear this and be like, oh, you're saying, like, all lives matter. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I do think that having really specific, like, targeted goals to um, deal with very specific inequities is incredibly key. Um, but I also know, I really do believe we all have our own things that we're really good at doing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know most women can do everything, but no, sorry. Most women can do anything, but we can't do everything. So, um, I am a really big believer in doing what you feels closest to your heart, then you'll probably mm. have most impact. It's really easy, I think, to get, um, to want to do it all. And I, I really think we can do it all, but um, probably not everybody can do all of the things. I think another way to also 
add on to what you said is like I think women are capable of many things, but they can't cap- they're not capable of anything alone. Yeah. I think there's a power in sisterhood. I think there's a power in that loyalty with a, a bringing up people and like helping share a lot of that same responsibilities that people like you who feel the need to create a space that's safe that also in turn creates a community where other people will want to also do that. And then the project becomes something bigger than itself than it intended to be. So Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, it's important to understand that we as women or people as a whole should come together and really like collaborate and be engaged in a lot of things. Agreed. Totally. And I do think tack on to the question that you asked a minute ago. Um, I am very interested in um, bringing gender equity to conversations about quality control. I'm working on a project with a couple of other amazing women um, with the Women in Coffee Project this year. Um, and I think that is the next, that's the next frontier um, to talk about, I think, the conversations about QC and quality and value. Mm-hmm always pretty elitist, pretty male-centric, um, pretty classist, mm. and um, pretty exclusive, and really uh, not always beneficial to producers if, you know, quality is the only thing that people care about. So that is the next thing that I'm really passionate about that I'm putting a lot of energy into this year. That's exciting, though. Yeah. I'm also, hoping to be able to more, yeah, eventually, but. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's also a different take on something that I definitely haven't heard other people speak on either. Yeah. It's not, um, uh, I mean, it's not like the hottest take, <laughs> but when, when I was learning how to like cup or roast, it did mm-hmm. feel like um, the people who talk about who are confident in what they know about um are usually the men in the room. So, yeah, I think that's not awesome. I did feel, that was actually one of the first really big instances of feeling like major imposter syndrome, like being in a room where a lot of people were like throwing around like cup scores and what stuff should be. Um, I think that sometimes like hot take, I think sometimes um, people who tend to use eccentric food terminology when doing cup cupping can be extremely unnecessary yeah and it's very unapproachable for many people who want to be a part of the industry and have that experiential sensory driven experience but um that specific that specific thing i've seen many times and times again yeah oh yeah 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 i think roasting is changing for the better there's a lot of great things that are changing for the better but that is that does seem to be an area that um, we gotta, we gotta <laughs> find a way to get in there. So if you were to give any advice for people who um, were interested in wanting to do any aspect of the coffee industry, because I feel like it's pretty broad and the way that you paved the road for yourself was you kind of just inserted yourself in asking and trying to talk and meet people and ask questions what would be your advice for people who also want to be able to join the industry? Um, I guess just like, don't be for, you know, don't, you know, find what you're afraid of and find a way to get past it for yourself. I really do think that a lot of the time you're the, 
obstacle. And I don't really, I really don't mean this in a negative way. I think mm. um, a lot of women or marginalized people have a lot of work to undo that, you know, um, has been sort of like programmed into our brains. So um, finding ways to get through it for you, and then, you know, if you can find the joy in it, then you kind of um, will succeed no matter what you do. I feel like, you know, that's sort of the biggest thing for me. Like, you know, does it spark joy? I know it was like a really cheesy thing to like tout as being like great advice. Mm-hmm. But um, I've seen people, I've been working in coffee a really, really long time. And uh, I've seen people who are unhappy in the jobs that they have, who feel like they can't do anything or get out of them. Mm. Um, And I know, you know, economic circumstance is part of it. You know, it's difficult to take a risk. I totally get, totally get that. Um, But there are a lot of people out there who maybe have answers or who can help and you know, I don't really know how, I don't really know what it is, but I know that there are people out there who can help. And, you know, I've benefited from some amazing people and it really just can't hurt to ask. I think knowing what it is too, is part of the journey for yourself. It's kind of like, um, what I tell people sometimes about like, you know, being a good ally, like, you know, don't expect someone else to teach it to you and not to say that, um, you know, you're not worth being taught, mm. but like you know, if there are particular issues that you really care about, um, like feminism, you know, like do the work a little bit, read about it, find out about, um, some of the people who went for some of the issues there. I don't know. Find a way that you can maybe contribute. I'm really like also a big, um, advocate for, volunteering and not really even specifically in coffee, but like, you know, in local, um, any means that you see people that people have, there's probably really awesome people trying to help solve it and who are giving up their own free time, mm-hmm. you know, find people who can fill your cup because they're really giving to you. And then that might also help you not be in a space where you feel like you're giving yourself away for free so much. I feel like this is also something that I really learned that like, I did feel like for a while, like, Everyone needs something from me, you know, just because that's like the world that we live in. Right. And if you change your mindset a little bit to be able to learn, like, what is it that you want to give away? You know, maybe that's your time or maybe that's money. I don't know. Um, choosing to do it and being happy about that choice mm-hmm. is like, I think, one of the best things to do because then it could mean that maybe you do do something um, for free for a while because it makes you happy and it gives you something in return. Maybe that's a skill. Maybe that's um, like knowledge. I don't know. But I would say there's always a community of people out there who can positively affirm whatever it is that you're interested in learning about or wanting to do. You just got to find your tribe. Yeah. That's a good way to describe. You got to just find your tribe. Part of me also asks this question for more of an insight on how I can receive more advice, you know? Because I'm still like, I still have the benefit of somewhat being freshly new to the industry that it's like, what would be the best form of advice that I could take learning from people who have been in the industry for uh, longer in different realms of the industry also? Because I feel like every single time I also do one of these episodes, I leave with some kind of impactful message that really like just sits with me for a really long time. And it's like... I have moments also where I'm like, 
am I doing the right thing by staying in the industry? And um, I like think about certain things that people have told me where it keeps me driven to go and keep going, especially with the podcast too, it being tied into it. So I was curious, do you have like a mantra that you usually go by or like something that like when you're going through a hard time, it like helps keep you strong and like keep you realigned with what you were doing? Um, yeah, I know. I mean, I feel like I sound like a hippy dippy person, but, um, you know, like, um, taking care of yourself is really key. I just had this like long stretch of time over the fall and winter Mm. where I was just feeling like so burnt out. And I just realized it is a lot about like my perspective like I kept feeling like you know all I do is just work all the time and like I don't have any time for me but then you know I was just like okay self (laughs) (laughs) like you know what is it in there that is like bruising you so much is it that like you don't want to work as much is it that you feel like you're becoming someone that works all the time like what is it and so like I kind of had this moment where I was like choosing to give my time to things like women in coffee project after I'm off work or sometimes during work hours because um it just has to happen Mm. that's a choice that I've made no one's forcing me to do that and if I don't want to do that like I should stop if I do want to do that I need to own it and not feel resentful that someone is taking something away from me and if work is getting past my personal boundaries like how am I accounting for that balance? So I feel like my mantra is like balance is not something that you just get one day. Mm. <laughs> you know, you like you legit have to work at it. I guess that's what I'm getting to. It's like it isn't um, some like ideal future out there where everything mm. is awesome. I think that's also like um, false, and that is like part of the really dangerous, dumb American dream, you know? (laughs) You have to fight for balance, and sometimes that's a really, really worthy thing to fight for. And, you know, some days you might achieve it, some days you might not. But kind of keeping that perspective is probably one of the best things that you can do for your own mental health. Because it is so damaging, I think, to, like, lose yourself in whatever work. And I've seen that in some, like, truly amazing people who are super impactful and do so much mm-hmm. but like you know if they're not really happy doing it or um or they're like you know my mom who I think like just like poured herself into her kids for like 30 years and like one day she woke up and she was like who am I and she figured that out and now she's sort of in this amazing journey of self-discovery and that's kind of fun for us like as kids because she'll be like you know, sending us like a YouTube video, music video. And we're like, where did you find out about her? <laughs> it's like, she's just like, she's legit having like a second, like adolescent phase mm-hmm. where she's just like learning about new music. And like, that's kind of amazing, you know, taking care of yourself. I think means that you can either be open to that. So you can like let yourself change. If you're changing, be aware of who you are. Give yourself fun things to do, like marathoning Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because you want to remember what it felt like to be, you know, in the early 2000s again. And being in love with Spike. <laughs> yeah, speaking for my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? I think, like, yeah, finding the balance. I think that is 
something that like I always go back to. I always forget about it. I always have like a pretty like crappy time and I'm like, uh, of course, you know, because I've lost that perspective. It's like a pendulum. I will say I also really suck at doing that too. Like, I think it's because I, I would consider myself a very passionately driven person. So when passion yeah. starts to override my my body and my brain, why well, is that brain weird? My brain, it's like once I have a chance to sit back and, and look at something, I'm like, ooh, I'm overwhelmed. Um, so I... You can be overwhelmed, though. I feel like that's also really telling. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've reached the stage of my life where my sisters are telling me that I'm starting to like sound like a mom, which is terrifying because I only have a dog. I don't have real children. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Getting to whatever stage, maybe this is like what they talk about your biological clock or something. It forces you to have all these momisms, but <laughs> I think um, it's totally fine to be overwhelmed. Like that's legit. That's like a state of being and that's fine. <laughs> that's like, very very normal there's really nothing wrong with it it's 1000 percent a human mm-hmm. reaction yeah you see your wheel your wheels are turning <laughs> i know i'm like i'm trying to think of there's like a way i want to say something um like for me one of the things that I would love to accomplish in my journey of roasting or just like I do all the green buying and sourcing for mission too, is something that like I'm not trying to romanticize this process either, but I've never traveled to origin. So I'm always curious of other people's origin stories um, and like something that's impactful for me is communicating with that part of the industry also because it's a real process and it's affecting real people so i was curious do you have you traveled to origin and do you have a really impactful story from traveling to origin that really like has sat with you throughout your journey that you like either look fondly on or it's really motivated you to continue doing what you're doing yeah yeah um that's a great question yes i have been to origin um in um, 2019, so I am also the green buyer for, our com- for the company I work for, Joe Coffee Company. Um, and um, before the pandemic, we did have um, origin trips. And so I went in 2019 to Peru, Nicaragua, and Colombia. Um, Nicaragua was really fun because I got those, like my first trip where I got to pair like work with family. Mm. Um, and my family was very proud. They were like, oh, you're here on business. <laughs> 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 I was like, it's not like glamour. But, um, yeah, I, I think, though, even though, obviously, like, Nicaragua is really an important place for me, the probably the single most important experience I've had in that corner I think or like that segment I don't know how you call it like but that part of the industry that part of the job mm. is that um is the trip that I took to Colombia and um something about traveling too I think is like it is actually like very if you're trying to be intentional it's really hard it's really really mentally exhausting on top of a lot of just the physical physical act of traveling that you have to do to get to visit coffee growing regions like the coffee lands are not like 
you know, a quick taxi ride for right. me. It is, a, it is deep travel. And I think a lot of people over-romanticize it because mm-hmm. they love that, like, ooh, we're getting the most exclusive stuff from the hidden corners of the, you know, all that is, like, white savior bullshit. But right. it is very, it is really beautiful. It is, of course, you know, like, um, a really powerful and humbling thing to meet people who um, work so closely to coffee in ways that we just will never know or understand. Right. But, yeah, the experience that I'll uh, share is that I was pretty new in my job. I was with my boss um, who I worked with really closely at the time on all things green buying, kind of like a double whammy of like, you know, I did like QC and um, uh, a lot of the communication and relationship, you know, he was a little bit more in the finance side of things and strategy, you know, all this stuff um, mm-hmm. that it's a big, big expense for us. We're a pretty big company. So we were visiting um, this family that my company had bought coffee from since we started as a roasting company, which was in 2013, even though company I've been, I worked for has been around for 20 years. We didn't start roasting our own coffee until 2013. So one of our earliest relationships, we spent a lot of time marketing this coffee. It's like a single origin coffee we have on our menu all year round. So we put a lot of effort into trying to educate our customers on their story, their background, why it's special to us, why it was the first relationship we had, you know, like that kind of thing, like a lot of information. And we brought stuff for them, like, um, you know, coffee, and we made some other coffee to instant, and we just brought them a lot of things. And they're a big family. They're a family of nine siblings, mm. and they're a little older. Um, and I was really excited to get to meet them because I was pretty new in my job, and they're a family, of course, that we spent so much time marketing. And I was really keyed up to, like, show them, like, hey, I'm your new business partner you can talk to me because the person I inherited the job from had to always work through a translator you know so I was like just really excited about the opportunity to use what I thought was my new superpower all the stuff that I talked to you about earlier that I was like just psyched about because I was 30 doing my thing using my best self you know (laughs) and we walked into a very tense situation where they basically told me that they had asked us to pay more for They asked for a higher price for some contracts that we were trying to um, set a new round of contracts because we forward contract with them pretty far in advance. Yeah. They hadn't heard anything from us. Um, they hadn't heard feedback about things like, you know, how their copy had been performing in the past however long. Um, and they were just um, really unhappy working with us and we're pretty close to saying they didn't want to work with us anymore. And I had no idea, obviously no idea. And so I was surrounded by nine siblings, uh, who were, you know, all older than me. So like, especially in Latin culture, you're really, really respectful of your elders, you know? So that was sort of a uncomfortable thing already in itself. One of them, um, his wife was present as well. She was super vocal and harsh, um, but she was also a little afraid. And so she was hiding behind him. She was like talking from behind him. She wouldn't come out to talk to me, to stand in front of him. She was just talking from standing like almost directly behind him. 
So it was all kinds of weird. We had a representative from the importer there with us too, from the local bodega that was like, who knew them from the region, like the local um, association. And um, it just was like, it was intense. It was super intense. I wasn't prepared for it. It felt like um, waves of like just emotional tension and they were right. They were totally, totally right. And I basically like, was like, I can only listen to them right now. Mm. Like they have not been heard. They've been trying to be heard and they are frustrated as hell right now with us. And they're right. Like they're not in the least bit in the wrong. Mm -hmm. And that was so hard. I think they had to like vent, like tear into us Mm. for a couple of hours we had plans to visit a couple of the siblings farms that were neighboring we did not have time for that because we just stood there and they shouted basically for you know a few hours and then when they finally got it out of their system they were like um oh okay like do you want to go see where we do some fermentation (laughs) and i was like you know, it's really important, everything that you brought up. And like, I promise now that we can talk, you know, like I, I don't, um, I don't want to brush this under the rug. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with what you're asking. And I think it literally felt like they needed the emotional, um, space <laughs> to get yeah. it off their chest. And I had like an emotional hangover for like a couple of days. Like I was shaky because mm-hmm. I was just it is not right that they got to that place. Like that is a power that we have and we didn't even know. And I don't know that, um, I didn't feel like I, I didn't blame myself. Cause I mean, obviously I didn't know I was new in the job, yeah. but I also didn't want to throw the other guy under the bus before me. Cause I was like, that won't really get us anywhere either doing like a negative take on the whole situation. Um, so I was just like, that's it. You know, we rebuild from here. Um, if you have issues, let's talk about it. If you have, uh, something that you need information from us, we give it to you. We don't expect that you just give us and we don't give anything back in return. And they were like, cool. Like they don't, I didn't really need to advocate too much. I think mm-hmm. they were just like, we can talk to you without an interpreter. And that is, uh, that's all they needed. They just needed to vent. And we've had, you know, we've gone through and we've talked every year since and um, about a lot of different things mm-hmm. throughout the course of outside of the business transactions like a lot of things that I think are really good and healthy but that is an instance where I was like you know a lot of the time we talk about how we have the opportunity to work with this amazing producer like Mm -hmm. a lot of producers don't have opportunities to like just work with whoever they want all the time and yet this group of people was about to like say it's not worth it yeah because not listening to us that was like um, that's such a huge responsibility. It's almost like uh, that actually overwhelmed me for a long time. I think um, the reason why I put a lot of emphasis on origin stories is because I feel like once you come back from that experience, it humbles you in a way where it, it impacts you in how you work, how you view your work, and it, it reiterates the importance of what you're doing. And it's not about what you technically do. It's about who it affects in the long run. So I think in general, that is a very strong and impactful story. Um, how has that shaped your view on building relationships with um, new producers, creating new contracts? Um, 
basically to like um, always find ways to talk about stuff so that there's plenty of opportunities for things to come up. Cause I do think, you know, there are these underlying things that I think they're, they're sometimes afraid to mm-hmm. like bring, they don't want to risk you being upset and like not wanting to work with you. Yeah. So I think like having lots of conversations means it alleviates that pressure a little bit. Like if you only ever wait to talk to somebody until you're like there on an origin trip, then they're going to have a lot of these pent up feelings or mm-hmm. they're going to be um, really like wondering like what the hell are you doing over here? Yeah. Um, and uh, just like lots of stuff like that. Like if we get um, a bunch of offer samples from somebody that um, even if we don't really intend to buy from them, I'll still maybe cut them and send notes because, you know, um, even if I don't want to buy from them, like feedback from a Q grader that I don't mind giving, that's fine. That is something that is like easy. They could potentially use that in another way. And yeah, um, not to say I'm giving them anything, but like, again, like I can give you my time. That's a resource. That is something that is, you know, I'm, I'm able to give you. Right. I think having, uh, a lot of, uh, conversations about values. So we have, um, something we call like a values matrix, like, basically like how do you talk to people about what you care about so they can also get to understand who you are and see if you maybe align on any of these things. So that's something that I've encouraged some other like roasting companies to do. And I'm even actually going to do like a talk at SCA about it, but like you have to be able to talk to people about some of these things. Like, um, you know, we're, some people are not just doing it for fun. You know, they're doing it because it's a legit business, but there are some people who really care about certain things and like, how do you talk to each other about what, what are the things that you care about, even if it's not related to coffee? Yeah. So we, um, we go through like the list basically and talk about what each thing, what things mean to us, you know? So it's like, you know, quality, what does quality mean to you? Like, what mm-hmm. is that? Like, how does that play a role in your life? If you're an importer, how does quality play a role? Does my notes directly relate to how much somebody gets paid if we end up buying this coffee? Like, I, I kind of think it's important to know some of this stuff. So we're really careful and take it seriously and don't just like throw you know, numbers around willy nilly, or, you know, um, we're talking about like transparency. Like, you know, we, are we asking for a lot of information? Have we offered to give any of the same information in exchange or back so that it doesn't feel extractive or exploitative or like that they feel like they actually can, if they feel like they can't, why, you know, what is it that we're doing that, or what is it that I'm doing? Is it because I'm not responding to emails because I'm overwhelmed? You know, that's like a, a inception layer of overwhelm, but like, yeah. You know, that helps you actually snap out of it. It helps me snap out of it sometimes. It's like, you know, I get overwhelmed. And so sometimes I deprioritize email. But like if a producer has sent us samples and I haven't cut them for like three weeks, like that's pretty rude. If maybe they're waiting on us to make that sale or not or holding it, you know, I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff until either I ask or I make it clear or I prioritize how to communicate with them over Mm -hmm. other things that are you know, other parts of my job maybe are less important. Like, how do you do some of that stuff to like center them and not put your own life first? Obviously our business is important, Joe, like, you know, obviously, but you know, we don't make or break based on a single like green coffee sale. Maybe they might. So I feel like it's just kind of trying to be as aware as possible of some of that stuff. And, um, yeah, I've even like even when people like coworkers are like traveling, like I have a friend, like a coworker who's like, oh, I'm going to Costa Rica for fun. 
I was like, let me give you a few words of advice about how to speak in Spanish to someone respectfully, like if you're going to deploy some of that stuff. <laughs> so you can like <laughs> not be rude. Right. Like, you know, little things like that. I'm like, it's so easy, man. It's so easy to be respectful. Just it take, it does take a touch more work, like a touch more work, but I think it's worth it. Yeah. There's, um, I think for me, why I keep emphasizing these, um, importances of humbling yourself and, um, thinking of this as a bigger picture than yourself while being in the industry is being someone of color and watching culture appropriation and, um, dealing with a lot of discrimination and racism living in America. And, uh, not trying to make this political, but I'm just saying (laughs) everything. Here's a, like a, it's not a hot take at all. It should be everybody's hot take. Coffee is political. Like you Mm. can accept it or not, but it fucking is. Yeah. I think it's really important to understand that you can't go into something that wasn't yours in the first place and just claim it and, Mm. uh, dictate it how you will based off of what you are familiar with and what makes sense to you as a buyer and someone who's giving money to the people. So I think it's a good idea and good philosophy to teach people how to build relationships on a basis of uh, respect and um, honoring a lot of their cultural values and what their necessities are. Yeah. So I want to trail back when you traveled to Nicaragua, how was that experience for you? Like, I know that you've been born and raised here and then you went back and you obviously went back for business, but you got to also associate your family with that. So how, that's like a full, like coming together moment. Like, I feel like if I went back to Iraq and I like was obviously doing something totally different with my business, it'd be such a mental mind fuck of some sort. Yeah. No, I think it's fun. I think you probably would enjoy it and find that it like taps into a part of you that um you don't often get to be Mm. i felt like that was one of the first trips that i felt like i could really be like all of me because like when i was younger i would feel like going to nicaragua i was always like you know the american cousin or like you know the white presenting kid which you know i kind of hated because i was like you don't know what i'm like inside you know like some of my siblings are like darker than i you know this is sort of the mixed bag of being a biracial kid like, yeah you get what you get <laughs> um and uh so i felt like really good that like okay this is like a career that i have because i do have some relatives there that are like you know there's no money in coffee why are you working in coffee you should go like you know, they work in a museum or, you know, they kind of <laughs> like, you have all these American opportunities. Mm-hmm. So use mentality. So it was cool to show them that like, okay, maybe I could do something positively beneficial that still incorporates my Nicaraguan heritage. So they'll be like, oh, you can come visit for work. Now, you know? um, and that was really awesome. So I had the chance. My grandma was so excited about that, that like I, so I was planning to have like a family, like visit her after the work part was done, but mm-hmm. she lives in, um, this town called Messiah. That's like, um, farther out from capital coffee growing regions are in the North, like yeah. on the El Salvador and Honduras. So I was going to go, I was going to get picked up by somebody and we were going to go North, but my grandma was like, could not 
contain herself. She was like, was like I'm just going to come to the airport to give you a hug. You, you can go work with your friends and your people, but I just want to say hi. And then um, she was like, and then I can come pick you up. I can pick you up if you need to, if you need anything at all. She's like, I can come up there and I can get you. And I was like, okay, you don't need to do that. I was like, I'm definitely 30 years old. But, um, <laughs> it was also a few years ago, so... I, uh, yeah, I feel like she's probably, she probably still do it now. Um, but she, you know, she's like, uh, she's, her health is like kind of going down a little Mm -hmm. bit now, but she's still pretty like, I mean, she's pretty active, but she came to the airport. Um, so she met like, um, the, the woman that we were going to meet, Elian Mirish. So she's like, you know, basically was like big, um, person like runs this really big beneficio and has like some family farms and has like a similar you know family story to to us her family left for a minute came back mm. they got coffee lands you know so she's doing an amazing thing for coffee women and just like you know the, the community there and Hinotega really and uh, Matagalpa really amazing job so I got to meet like you know one of my one of the women I look up to in the coffee industry and my That's grandma awesome. got to meet her too oh my god <laughs> was like so excited to meet her and my and Elian was like your grandma's awesome and I was like <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> so we had this amazing like just moment mm. that um just felt so good that I was like this is also something that uh, I get to have that's like just it's just amazing that no one can take away you know even if I don't ever get to go back you know I'm a, I think things will get a little better for travel you know soon but that's an that's just like an amazing gift you know my heart is smiling for you I would have also had like a whole like taking a step back and looking at what's happening in front of me moment where it's just like this is something that I want to freeze and capsulize and just keep to myself yeah. so that's amazing I'm glad that you got that experience it's pretty epic I don't think my grandma was like she wants me to come back too soon so like I went and visited her last summer, mm-hmm. but not not for work. Yeah, and she was just like, "Do you still work in coffee?" I'm like, "Yes." Harvest <laughs> <laughs> time right now. I'm coming to visit you for fun. <laughs> so, where do you usually like? So, you have a lot going on. What I'm curious yeah. about, <laughs> you have a lot going on. What I'm curious about is like, where do you see yourself? Like, like, where's the trajectory for you? Like, where do you eventually want to like end up? like down the line i think i want to end up in um like you know the nonprofit space yeah which is terrible because I, I have one of my best friends like it's like a master's in social work and she's she's like you know the grass isn't always greener there's lots of the same stuff all the same stuff capitalism the patriarchy you name it you know it's all here in the nonprofit side too mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I know that over the past year or two, my heart has just been changing and I think I've been open to letting it change. Like I love, I used to love roasting and like, I don't, I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination, but I actually just did roaster training, new roaster training today. We hired someone new and you know, it was just really fun being on the roaster all day. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just not where my heart is anymore. And I know that like I can, I can kind of tell and green, but I actually love, I love cupping. Um, I really, really love cupping. I could retire in like a QC lab, just like 
sample roasting and grinding copies. Mm-hmm. I'd be happy for the rest of my life, probably. But I just know, yeah, I think, I mean, and, and I don't even know if any anyone in my job who might listen to this, and they probably won't be shocked, but, like, I know there's an end for me working for, um, like, a retailer, like, a wholesaler. Um, I think there's a lot of power in this in the business, this, like, there's a lot of power, you know, there's so much that can be done and, um, so many ways to connect different groups that are often alienated, like consumers, you know, they're often also left out of the, left out of the equation, you know, for a lot of things. And, um, they're probably one of the first people to say like, you know, quality is not as big of a deal as we think it is. Mm. But I, I feel like I'm always balancing in someone else's business strategy that I think is powerful and there's a lot of impact that can be had in this work, but it will probably come to an end for me someday. And I don't know what that looks like. I think Mm -hmm. if there's a program that I can start that um, I'm working on right now that um, like you know, related to quality that like maybe there's a feature in that becoming its own entity. Yeah. You know, one day I might have to just take a leap and because you know, like the women in coffee project only is fueled as much as I fuel it. So um, it's, it ebbs and flows as well based on how busy I am. Um, and maybe one day it will become its own thing. I think it's can... already on its way without you even knowing it. Yeah. I, know, think, sometimes I also lay awake at night being like, how much could I do if I like literally did this full time? Because <laughs> I literally do it like in you know a couple of hours here and there all the time. Yeah, I feel like um, as a creator of something, you never see its full potential and its full lifespan from that perspective. You can only yeah. receive it as in interpretations or feedback from other people and how it's impacting them. So I feel like um, the Women Coffee Project as a whole has such a, a long lifespan to have. And I think it'll just continue to grow into something even more impactful and give more opportunity for whatever you want it to breathe into. you know you said that you're turning into the mom i'm like i'm not even at 30 and i already feel like i'm turning into mom so yeah i think that's probably just also like the genetic like thing like culturally you're supposed to be able to like take care of the family by like the time you're you know you get to your quinceanera anyway so Yeah, like I said, I just love the more that I find out about the Latin culture, how similar it is to the Middle Eastern culture, because it's just so, it's just non-communicative how much I can resonate with a lot of the things that you're saying. (laughs) But, um... Recovering, we can have, like, a recovering, like, immigrant women's anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) What a time that would be. It would be so loud, and it wouldn't end until, like, two in the morning. (laughs) so last fall i threw this party that i was like you know i'm gonna create actually like alex um was there she she inspired me too in that way Mm -hmm. like i I threw a party called like chingonas and coffee party which is like you know chingona means like badass in spanish so i was like 
you know, this is going to be a party like by us and for us. I'm not saying no, you know, people who are not of a certain type of cultural demographic can't come. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a little bit more designed for a space for us in mind. Yeah. And I did hear from tons of people that like, um, like one of my really good friends who's Asian, she's like, you know, gosh, we have so much of these same pressures, you know, to kind of like, you know, it's really difficult to let, give yourself a break to kind of like, you know, um, chill out and yeah. like celebrate where you, where you are and what you've accomplished. And I was like, I feel like that is just like the common theme for so many women from different backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. We deserve a party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet that was a great time. It was so fun. It was so fun. It was awesome. Alex was there, of course. She won, like won a bottle of rum, I think, in the. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. See, I love that you guys can create spaces like that for other people because I wouldn't say that's like shutting out a specific type of people, but it's not. It's not meant for them in the first place. Like it, a lot of it is just like finding a home and finding our tribe. And when you create a safe space like that, that gives the opportunity for people to find that for themselves when they don't have the opportunity originally. Yeah. I also feel like, you know, there's so much stuff that happens in specialty coffee that is not designed for for us. It's not designed for producers that does not have the actual, like, inclusive all of us in mind. It yeah. really is not. So we have to work against that. Do you feel like even though the coffee industry is changing now that women are getting more representation or do you feel like it's still not enough? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I will always say it's not enough. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, oh, definitely. I think it is. Um, it, it's feeling better all the time. Um, I think we're in the stage now where it's like some of the systemic stuff, like infrastructure, like we can all agree, like anecdotally that things are improving and that things are better, but like, it really isn't until that is actually an actual sustainable change, you know, like, you yeah. pull, like I die tomorrow, you die tomorrow, you know, everyone who's really passionate about these things, like if it's not actually like built into the DNA of the industry, then, you know, it's all history will repeat itself. So that's, I think, the actual work that... Striving for do. systemic change. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're also working against, li- like, literally centuries of systemic oppression. Like, yeah. systems were put into place for very specific reasons. That's why the cost of coffee is so cheap. People didn't have to pay for labor for, like, I don't know, 600 years or something insane. So we're working against that mindset yeah. that collective unconscious that says that like you know coffee is supposed to be cheap well no it's not like it really isn't in the history of coffee pre-forced labor it was really expensive post forced labor that's the era that we're working in right now we've got a lot of work to do to undo that right and that is every other you know cloth every other type of inequity we've got a lot of work to do and that's um pretty big yeah I think that should be encouraging. That means we all have something to do. We all have, there is so much work to do, and we cannot do it alone. Mm -hmm. We have to collaborate. Everybody has a role to play. I guess it's like, what do you want Women in Coffee Project to turn into? Like, what do you want it to become? I think we really do need something to bridge the gap. We have a lot of people that, 
um, want more, want to do more, and mm-hmm. they don't think they have to know where to plug in. I did this survey at the end of last summer to ask a group like roasters separately and producers separately, like, what do you want to change? And a lot of them did say communication and connection with other people in the supply chain that are not the people closest to me. Mm. I feel like there is a real need to bridge the gap. And that's um, something I haven't quite figured out exactly how to do. And so I can tell you there's something from the episode before you. So Camilla, she speaks on what she started to do differently for herself with her interactions with producers. And it's, it's having the conversation on a, a level of what is, what is it that you need from me? And I feel like that's a great way and a great example to create one, a connection, a relationship on a healthier level where it's beneficial for both parties. But it also gives you the chance for the people who created the product to have a little bit more control of how it works for them and brings them peace and mind of where it goes afterwards. And then from there, maintaining that relationship. So it's like, I think starting from somewhere small can really create a chain effect if it starts to be repetitive and throughout a lot of that changing systemic, uh, that discrimination, that problem. If you start small and start trying to change the systemic problems that have happened, that I feel like would be a good half answer towards trying to see how do we change a lot of the problems that have been happening. And I'm saying this with absolutely <laughs> barely any information and barely any experience actually working with producers hand in hand, but this is something that I would implement. No, that's amazing. Also, I don't think you need lived experience to know what's right. And I think your intuition is correct. And you're also doing the right thing by building a strategy based on people that you know have a good value system. Like Camila is amazing. Camila Khalife, right? Is mm-hmm. that who's- I loved talking to her. Absolutely. I've never met her. I don't know her personally, but of course I follow her on the internet. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's inspirational, but I think that's just it. You know, you don't need to have that. And I think you're already doing that, but yeah, you don't really need like a lived experience to tell you something to be able to know like what's right. Yeah. I think, um, Every single time I sit down and I talk to somebody on the podcast, it really just, it leaves me way more well-informed and able to tackle problems that I would have never known how to better, but it also gives me a better insight on what the industry means to other people, not just myself. The human connection Mm -hmm. makes coffee so valuable. One thing I um, meant to tell you earlier, too, um, I didn't know if we were going to, like, chit-chat before we started recording or anything like that, but um, I listened to this podcast, well, not so much anymore, but there was a phase of my life when I listened to it a ton, when I was kind of, like, um, really finally feeling good about my heritage and being in my skin and stuff. There's this podcast from NPR called Alt Latino, and one of the early hosts um, she's now like an NPR, like she's like a journalist for NPR. But yeah. one of the really hosts is named Jasmine Garst. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you have a really similar voice to hers. And <laughs> she's from Argentina. She's really cool. She's got amazing taste in music. And 
I really, really loved her, especially when I was like um, feeling good about really loving Latino music. This was like a big thing for me too, like kind of feeling comfortable, like loving all of the things in like the Latinx diaspora that like, mm. I don't know, just made me feel like almost an imposter there too. You know, like, is it okay that I love all this music? Yeah. Or is it okay, um, you know, to love some of the trashier, like poppier music, you know, <laughs> or like uh, reggaeton, like, is it okay to like mm-hmm. all this stuff and not be embarrassed by it? Like, it was like my guilty pleasure music. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm going to be, I'm going to love it. I'm going to do it. Um, and Jasmine Garish was part of that journey for me. So your voice actually. You, is this your, is this your version of professing your love to me? <laughs> uh, I actually loved it. Like the first two episodes of the podcast, <sighs> like, even though I don't, I didn't know you very well, but I was like, I think it's going to be awesome talking to you because you remind me of someone who was really great. That's such a great compliment. <laughs> I'll also send you a couple of um, episodes from that podcast. That you yeah, I think it's going to be like a whole like, whoa, like a. Um, or maybe you won't get it and it's just an association in my head and it's not real. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know the way that you hear yourself. Is yeah, no, for sure. Because I, I also really struggle with the feminine side of myself because I would consider myself a pretty tomboy woman as well. And like, I think in general, the tone of my voice um, the octave of my voice is really hard to hear it back on <laughs> listening to it. Um, so it's good to hear that my voice is enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I think I, unrelated to, I think we, we've jumped on so many different aspects and so many different subjects. And I love that because relating back to our heritage and who we are and where we come from is something people, first generations, uh, second, third, bicultural um, immigrants all have in common and can really like <laughs> empathize through suffering. Um, I also really struggled as an adult, not as a kid, because I think I was so disassociated from the idea of Arabic culture and American culture because I grew up in such a sheltered life in the Arabic world. That like when I became an adult and started interacting with many people, I realized how disassociated I was. When it's like, people are like, you didn't grow up listening to this? Or like, you didn't have this experience when you were growing up, and, but you grew up there? And I was like, yeah, but I was listening to like Nancy Ajram growing up and Amr Diab, these like hardcore, like staple Arabic singers that I didn't really start to like appreciate until like the older I got that it's like, I'm so unapologetically Arab. 100%. Yeah. Own it. Do it. That's you. Mm-hmm. That's great. You're the youest you that could ever be. <laughs> the youest you. Isn't that a mom thing to say? I really do sound like, <laughs> like Miss Frazzle from like um, the Magic School Bus or something like that. Like it's like that's that that thing that every kid says is like at least my mom says she loves me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm. Uh, Unapologetically, not not a young hip kid anymore. <laughs> okay, what even is that anymore? It's changed. I guess, like, I'm also curious. Do you have a controversial hot take in terms of the coffee world? 
and like I've already said several, like people come at me for like saying quality isn't everything when like, I know quality is important. Like I'm not saying it's not, mm. um, but I don't think it's certainly not the only thing that matters and it's never the only thing that matters and nothing else. So everything, everything like, you know, um, you know, your ethics, you know, the value of collaboration, like a lot of those things are just as important, if not more important than quality. And that's something that um, I, I know is not a common opinion by not shared by a lot of people, but I think it's also fine. I also think like the way that we think about quality sometimes, you know, always wanting it to be better or always wanting like, you know, um, it was sort of like, code switch when we're in a room of other people, specialty coffee or mm-hmm. producers in the room because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, which I think is really unfair because it's acknowledging the fact that there's a lot of power dynamics there that like yeah. wanting a higher level of quality, like it's an enormous amount of work for a producer to improve their cup score and like not to say they're wrong to do it. A lot of people do it because they are also playing the game. Like, you know, why shouldn't they, they should be able to try to maximize their, their income and, um, get as much out of it as they can. Mm-hmm. But um, if all we tell them that we care about is quality and and really nothing else, it can erase, you know, a lot of their layers of identity. It can, you know, sort of unintentionally train people to like um, do everything that this side of the industry demands, which I think is also unfair, you know, like it just leaves it really like one ended and top heavy and um, just really ill. <laughs> so always roast me the wrong way. And I feel like a lot of people, like when I took the Q course, Oh my God, this is also something no one talks about. And we don't even have, I mean, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> like, you know, um, a lot of people go into it because they think it's like an ego contest. It's like proving yourself. It's like, it's, you know, uh, achieving a certification is for you. It's like, this is a powerful responsibility that like you're in theory going to be able to really determine people's levels of income. If you're in a position that you're using that qualification for green buying role, you're determining um, sometimes people's income for like a year, if they really do rely on coffee, that's massive. That's not something to joke about. Like that's not something to like brag about on Instagram about how great you are or argue with the teacher in the course about how you're right and they're wrong. You know, like that happened. (laughs) And I, yeah, I just think that's something that, um, I know a lot of people will disagree with, but, um, I just don't get, people's egos I just don't get people's egos that really pisses me off the more I keep learning about experiences regarding the battle between education and an ego it's just like dude what is your what's your motive with that you know like what what do you get out of the battle with that and it's like that defeats the purpose of what it's supposed to be giving you in the first place but that's the thing. That's the, I mean, that's like, I also think men are walled in by their own toxic masculinity. That is a thing that is a thing like, you know, I'm not, it's not an excuse, but they're also victims of it. 
this is something that really sucks that I think a lot of people can't see. It's like women are not the only victims of the patriarchy. Men are as well. Right. You know, they sucked into and bought into and affirmed 10 million times over that this is the way to be. Mm-hmm. That's also something they have to unlearn. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for nurturing and properly educating men in terms of communicating in that kind of sense. I think it's totally necessary. And it does take a village. It's not going to, you know, gender equity isn't really going to be accomplished by women alone either. You know, yeah. it really won't happen. So I'm an advocate of that too. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Like 100%. I feel like I'm like, all of my favorite people are on the East Coast. <laughs> I loved talking to Alex. I loved her spirit. She's so feisty and sassy and so unapologetically her. And I love her so much. And I absolutely love you and your story and what you've created for yourself and what you're continuing to strive and create for yourself. And um, knowing that you will always be a person to ask questions and learn. And it's a beautiful thing to know how... Many powerful women are actually doing really good, meaningful things and creating community for other people. And it's just, just as like, I love meeting inspirational women. It just, it, it hits a specific part of my soul that didn't realize needed it. I got you. I think that's one of the greatest things about this stuff though, that there's, there's always more like, um, ways to like, uh, just like tap into somebody else's like energy mm-hmm. and, um, like really benefit from it and listen and like have that be like a really positive thing that can like change you they can like change who you are you know like I think we can like change each other in really really amazing ways and help each other be our best selves and that um, but it's also like a power you know 100% when women come together, you said it, when women come together, what did you say? You said something like that, like you had a pretty great quote. <laughs> we would have to go back and like listen to it, but I definitely think that women can't accomplish everything on their own as much as they have the capacity to. There needs to be built of some type of loyalty and sisterhood within each other that genuinely, from a genuine place, want to help others succeed. <laughs> when I tell you I always suck at the closeout this is something mm-hmm. I, I still struggle with trying to learn how to close this stuff out but I feel like there's so much stuff that was said and I actually love how much I got to learn about you on this episode as a person um, you're, you just have such great stories your life is got such meaningful impactful stories to it not even just what you've been creating with coffee project the women in coffee project and what you want to start branching out towards and obviously you're not done so it's like i can't (laughs) wait to to like watch from the sidelines and like support you and be like yes oh same well you're creating the future that you want to see too i think that's that's amazing so thank you for helping um, my work a little bit. I know that you're not going to be a hit 
podcast. Never do listen to it. <laughs> no help for sure. But thanks for reaching out. I was. It's definitely like humbling when people do that. So. Yeah, for sure, dude. For sure. Well, would you like to plug social media outlets? Is there a way people can find you, <laughs> find Women in Coffee Project, just in case? I always like to give a nice little self-promo. Yeah, you can search for at Women in Coffee, and Pro- Women in Coffee Project. Um, I'm terrible at social media, so we'll say um, if anyone is interested in volunteering to help my social media presence get better. <laughs> I'm definitely here for that. Yeah. Um, my, my little sister helps me sometimes, um, but I'm, I'm pretty bad at it and I need to get better for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, I do post when stuff happens. I just, I'm not really great at being like active and engaging. So of course the algorithms don't always, you know, appreciate that. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. You can find me there. I do a lot of reposting, too, of other people who are doing awesome stuff. So that is something that I think is, like, that's that's what I try to do a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, repost or, like, share things that are inspirational that are kind of good fuel, positive fuel to help. Um, I think that's always good. Seeing other cool women doing cool things, it can feel, like, awesome. Yeah, you know, I can do it, too. <laughs> Well, I will not take up any more of your time. We did talk for a while. Um, <laughs> I hope I get to see you in person soon. Yeah. And like yeah. have a lot more far. chats and whatever. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me. It was so fun. And this is this the first of many, I'm sure. We'll keep talking. Okay. Well, you. <laughs> You're like, sure. Okay, bye. <laughs> no. It's just. Uh... Like you had to bring up that weird story about my horse. <laughs> no, I would love to sit and talk more, like in person, like catch a drink, something. I don't even care. Like, yeah. Well, you have a great rest of your night. I know that it's now nighttime. So. Thank, well, thank you. you too. And I will, yeah, we'll just keep talking. Yes. I would love to stay in touch. Yeah. Okay. Well, you have a good night. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So, like, I think the root takeaway from this episode that I can get is to stay hungry for information, stay inquisitive. She likes to consider it her nerd personality, but I think. As much as that has a role of its own, I think it's important to be hungry to understand, to learn. Don't take everything for face value. Question things and learn on your own. Take the time to really understand it and reach out to people who can give you even more insight and more information. Because at the end of the day, there's only so much you can learn from one person. There's only so much you can learn from one site. And only one interaction will only give you one biased perspective what it is. I think her origin story was extremely poignant and I think it had a specific emphasis in terms of communication and this is why I love asking those stories because it obviously leaves something impactful on you. Like it, it, as much as I love to reiterate that I do not romanticize a lot of the efforts that go into the labor, that go into the struggles of being a coffee producer. I'm talking from a person-to-person perspective and how that makes you feel, that interaction that you have with them. 
and what they're trying to explain to you and that interaction you have with them being something on a personable level, it should carry throughout whatever you decide to do. Each part of her story has really led her to come together and make something beautiful for other people.